You're listening to the Religion and Fiction Podcast. A podcast for people interested in the intersection of the sacred and story. Offering insight, inspiration, and a bit of entertainment for the journey. I'm your host, Jeremy Bauma, a former pastor and theologian who writes stories under J.A. Bauma. Stories that offer entertaining escape as well as insightful inspiration for the journey. This week's episode is week five of the Religion and Fiction Book Club, wrapping up a reimagined faith. Thanks for joining the journey of Peter Daniel Young. Stick around as we wrap up one of the most significant legs of that journey. Hey, religious fiction readers! Welcome to episode 14 of the Religion and Fiction podcast. Really thankful that you have joined on this last week of the Religion and Fiction book club, exploring one of my very first books that I wrote, A Reimagined Faith. As I've explained along the way, this is really a novelization of much of my own spiritual journey that I experienced 20 years ago when I was catapulted headlong into a season of crisis, if you will, where I began asking all sorts of questions about faith, life, and everything in between and had little answers for those questions, not only for myself, but also for my friends who were in my ministry on Capitol Hill and asking very similar questions about how Christianity, their faith, fit into their world. And the result of my own journey was the spiritual journey of Peter Daniel Young, which we've been exploring the past few weeks in this book, A Reimagined Faith. Well, today we're coming to the end of that first leg of the journey, because there actually is another leg in the second book, A Rediscovered Faith. That book picks right up when Peter leaves Washington, D.C. and arrives home at his Coopersville parents' manor. (laughs) And that continues in many ways following the contours of my own journey into and through and beyond sort of this uh, reimagining phase. It took me into a new level of re-understanding the faith that I had been given as a child and young adult and began to solidify a lot of my current beliefs and understandings about Christianity and faith in Jesus in our post-Christian, post-modern context. If you'd like to continue that journey, you can do so by ordering directly from my own website at readreligiousfiction.com. Yes, I own that website, and it will forward you to my bookshop at jabauma.com. There you can purchase a rediscovered faith using promo code BOOKCLUB25 to save a few bucks off the retail price, and it will give you a chance to keep going in Peter's journey of discovery. Again, thanks so much for joining this episode, but also the book club and diving into this 
book that I wrote that is very dear to me and my heart. And I'm thankful that the feedback I've had from people who have read it have found similar resonance in their own spiritual journeys as they have sought to resolve some of their deep questions about faith, life, and everything in between, but also keeping on asking them and seeking out the answers that will bring them life and closer to God in Jesus Christ. Enough of the prologue. Let's get into these final chapters, chapters 27 through 34 of A Reimagined Faith. All right, so we come to the final chapters of our journey with Peter Daniel Young. And the last we left him was fired from his ministry, which mirrored my own experience getting let go from my Capitol Hill ministry. Covered that last episode, won't go back into that here. But suffice it to say, I felt very similar to what Peter was experiencing with all of the questions and the heartache and the confusion and the fear about what was next and where his rent money would come from and food money and even his own sense of purpose and meaning in life and sense of self. All of that came crumbling down in a gigantic heap of uh, crazy on the other side of being fired. But I'll tell you what, in the midst of that painful experience, which, as I mentioned last week, was both a mixture of my own self-undoing as well as uh, a bit of unfairness on the part of the organization I worked for and how it was handled and and the events leading up to it. Um, But, you know, in the midst of all that, I experienced the grace of God in a way that I had never before experienced. Because here I was uh, on the ropes and at the end of myself, all I could do is rely upon him to provide for my next steps. And so what did I do? I did what anyone would do. I sought the Lord with all of my heart and my soul for not only provision, but direction. And I did what Peter did in these chapters, 27 through 28. I went to the labyrinth service at the Washington National Cathedral. Now, before we get to that experience, I want to back up and ask when you yourself have had such a cataclysmic loss on that sort of scale, where you lost a job or a relationship or somebody betrayed you or maybe you were disciplined in a way that felt unfair but maybe was also fair. What was that like? What did you feel? How did you yourself experience the grace of God in the midst of that pain and confusion and chaos? As I mentioned, for me personally, during this season and very Shortly after I was let go, I went to the labyrinth service of the Washington National Cathedral. I won't rehash what that is, but if you're thinking sort of this uh, pagan, mystical, new agey mumbo jumbo, you're very off the mark because there's actually very deep ancient Christian roots to this spiritual practice stretching way back. And what I loved about this service is 
the way it's used as a metaphor for our life with God and our journey with Christ, uh, both our, in a spiritual sense, but also in just a life existential sense. If you've seen a labyrinth or have experienced a labyrinth service, you know what I'm talking about, because this service, the spiritual practice, is meant to illustrate our walk, our journey, through the winding, twisting path of life. If you don't know what a labyrinth is, go ahead and Google that after you listen, or even right now, it will look very similar to a maze that you might find on the backside of a child restaurant menu. One of these things I solve frequently with my eight-year-old boy and five-year-old girl. But the big difference between a maze and a labyrinth is that there are no wrong moves. There are no dead ends. Because this particular kind of maze switches back and forth and takes the walker towards a specific direction, mainly the center of the labyrinth. So while a maze creates all the similar kinds of confusion and uh, switching back and forth as a labyrinth, in a maze there are dead ends, there are wrong moves, right? And then you have to kind of get yourself back out and find the right way to get out of the maze. But with a labyrinth, there are no wrong moves because even though it feels chaotic and feels like you're going nowhere, it feels like you're going back and forth with no direction, there is actually a purpose to all that switching back and forth. A purpose to take the walker into the center of the labyrinth. Sounds very similar to our journey in life, doesn't it? Where you encounter all of these left turns and right turns, and it feels very chaotic and confusing and like, where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing? And yet there is purpose to the journey. There is still direction. There is still control in a upper level sense because the designer of the labyrinth is still taking you, the walker, into the center. Just like Jesus Christ, right? As he carries us along, walks with us along on this road of life that feels chaotic and back and forth, there's still purpose to it. Jesus is taking us somewhere. The same was true for Peter. The same is true for us. It was true of me 20 years ago when I encountered my own chaos and confusion and back and forth. And he took me into a very deliberate center. Very similar to what Peter himself experienced. And that was seminary. He heard that word when he was fired. I myself heard that word when I was fired, incorporated it into Peter's own story to uh, mirror my own. And here he is in the service, wondering what on earth the Lord is doing in his life. Wonder about you. Maybe you're experiencing that same confusion and chaos, the right and left turns that feel like you're going nowhere. First of all, know that you are going somewhere. The Lord is taking you where he wants you to go and where you are going is by his design. And secondly, how does that feel right now? What has that been like for you? 
the back and forth, the confusion, the chaos. And where do you think the Lord is taking you in your journey in life, but also maybe your spiritual journey, given the kinds of deep questions about faith, life, and everything between we've been asking the past few weeks? Before Peter starts his spiritual practice with the labyrinth, he reads a psalm, Psalm 31, and he uses this as a way to meditate on this uh, practice, but also his spiritual journey, his life journey. I thought that I would read that now as a sort of way to meditate on what you yourself might be going through. Psalm 31. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Before he continues on this spiritual practice, he prays the Lord's Prayer, but then also this final simple prayer, one of the collects from the mini compline service for the evening. Be our light in the darkness, O Lord, and in your great mercy defend us from all perils and darkness of this night. For the love of your only Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. And off Peter goes. And of course, he experiences a whole lot. And most of it is just recalling where he had gone the past year and the past several months in uh, beginning with this very inciting incident of Clint with his questions about faith. And then from there, catapulting into his own questions and and all the twists and turns that took to bring him to that moment when he was fired and wondering what was next in his life. At the end, he looks down and on one side, as the book goes, the one I was standing on was the warm, soft, cream-colored canvas mat. The other side was the cold, hard, charcoal-colored stone tiles of the cathedral. Beyond my feet was gray, foggy blankness, It wasn't that it was dark. It was not yet formed. There were no more lines to guide me. I looked up and turned around, looking at all that I had just traversed, all of the twists and turns, the bends and breaks in my path that had brought me to that point, that moment in time, not merely in the labyrinth, but my path, my journey, my story on the hunk of rock spinning around our yellow dwarf star, lapping it every 365 days. The wispy, shaky confidence that began to bubble had now solidified into a constant stream within. Because in looking back at all I had just traveled, in walking through that travelogue of my story, which I believed God had graciously allowed me to traverse in a loving act of remembrance, I could see how God was in it all. And that gave me great confidence. No, wait, something even better. Hope. Knowing, experiencing all of what God had already brought me through gave me strength for that day and a bright hope for the next step off the known path into the blankness of tomorrow. 
so I took it. I stepped out into my future, knowing that God really could be trusted with whatever came my way, in my life, in my faith. Use this time, whether it's in your car, on the treadmill, taking a walk around your neighborhood with your dog, to mentally traverse your own past to where you have come to now and how the Lord has brought you there. I pray that you would gain the same confidence that Peter did, the same hope that just like he has brought you to this place, giving you refuge, keeping you safe, providing, protecting even, in that same way, that is true of what's next. And now step out whether that is in the next phase of your life or in the next phase of your faith, knowing that he really can be trusted with your future because of all that he's done in the past. Not only was that the great confidence Peter took as he left that labyrinth spiritual practice service, that was also the great confidence I myself took 20 years ago when I stepped off that mat into the blank fogginess of the unknown and kept going, pursuing what I thought the Lord was taking me into. And at the time that was seminary, but also the sort of broader reimagining of my faith. But also, as you'll discover in book two, this was much more about rediscovering what the church has always believed about a number of things. And that's where my journey led when I left D.C., and what Peter begins to learn as well when he launches into this next leg of his journey in book two. But before that, what Peter is faced with is this uh, need to keep going, and he finds the strength to do that back at the front page in this uh, prosurgent little group talking to Darren, but also Brian McLaughlin. And Brian shares a number of insights into his own journey and kind of what brought him to this own point to write about Pastor Jack, but also to encourage the next generation in their deep questions about their faith, about life, about everything in between, and as as I've been saying. And Peter wonders why he has done it, you know, why he put himself out there in the same way that Peter put himself out there for his college students for himself. And what Brian replies is he didn't do it for the money. He didn't do it for the fame, for the attention. Peter asks, well, then why'd you do it? And this is how he responds. Brian says, I'll tell you why. I do it for the 20-something guy manning the video equipment at this conference that day who came up to me to tell me that for the longest time he refused to associate himself with the word Christian because of all the baggage that word came with. I do it for the Catholic lady who said I was giving voice and permission to the questions she'd been asking for years, yet was too afraid to ask because she felt so alone in them. I do it for the 70-year-old lady who came up at the end who's scared for the faith of her grandchildren and encouraged me to keep at it because somehow what I say seems to connect with young people. Then he takes a swig of beer and continues, Frankly, I've done it for people like you, Peter. People in ministry who are faced with the kinds of questions fundamentalists just don't get because they don't know anybody who's asking them. Then he goes on and says, 
they think people are asking about how to get to heaven, whether the Bible is inerrant, whether Jesus' atonement is substitutionary or a recapitulation or moral or an example or a ransom or any of the other insider baseball questions Christians think the rest of the world is asking. Of course, Peter resonates with this because that's where he has been. That's where I was as well, why I stepped out for my friends and for my own self to confront some of the questions that my past didn't have answers for. I mentioned how I grew up in a more fundamentalist church experience, which I'm grateful for. It was not traumatic by any means, uh, but, you know, as an adult later on, you can critique a bit of that childhood faith, even if you might be grateful for it and thankful now for that foundation. But most of what Brian McLaughlin was fighting for and Peter was fighting for resonated because that's that's where I was at. And I know a lot of other people nowadays, that's where they're at as well, wondering how does the Christian faith still connect to our modern world? And as Brian says, this is why he created those people in his own novels, (laughs) which is a bit meta. Uh, Here's a book about a book, right? Uh, But anyway, he created them to help work through his own spiritual stuff. And as he says, along the way, I vowed never to let anyone else who was experiencing what I experienced not have people to walk with as they worked through their own spiritual stuff. I guess I hope that what I've learned, what my characters have learned, will provide some sort of spiritual companionship for the path they are walking on. And then he says to Peter, who just thanks him, he says, keep at it, brother. It'll be all right. And I think that's great advice for keeping at it, making that conscious choice to continue on the journey with Christ, even if it's confusing, doesn't make sense for you in the moment, you might feel alone in that. But for Brian, it was bigger than himself. It was for other people. That's why he kept at it. That's why Peter keeps at it as well. And I wonder how you might keep at it in your own context if you are struggling or wondering or questioning or if you're dealing with other things outside of just questions of faith but just questions about life how might you invite jesus into that right now for the sake of not only yourself but also other people Of course, the next two chapters, chapter 30 and 31, show very quickly for Peter the fruit of this continuing on, this keeping at this journey of faith, because it manifests, this fruit manifests, in the life of somebody else, the life of Clint. Clint has been watching Peter, as chapter 30 says, and not in a creepy way, but in a... uh, as he says, a creepy bromance way, but just showing or looking at how Peter has handled the questions and handled the answers when they were hard to come by. He held on to his faith. Even when you started shifting in your beliefs, you didn't just flip sides, as Clint observed. You went to the middle, the golden mean, as he explains, and and then Clint makes this interesting revelation about his own journey and how Peter impacted it. He said, you're the one who helped me realize it actually, that the Christian faith is still relevant to our world, that I don't have to 
pitched by childhood faith in the trash to still believe in Jesus and follow him. There's a way about the Christian faith that's still sustainable. And all it takes is a little reimagination to figure out how to still be a Christian. Doesn't mean you throw out what's basic to faith, like Jesus for one, as well as sin and salvation. It just means believing in him and following him might look different in our day than it has in the past. And that's okay because every generation rediscovers what it means to believe in him, to follow him anew. Shoot, Jesus himself talked about new wineskins replacing old ones, didn't he? And then Peter chuckles and smiles and nods and he says, spoken like a true pastor. And, and I like that because here is Clint seeing that you can still hold on to what is central to Christianity, Jesus and belief in him. And all of that means uh, about the good news about his life, death and resurrection, while also re-understanding what it means to hold on to that in our day. And Peter showed him that way, didn't he? And I wonder about who has helped show you that way. Who has come alongside you to show you a better way of believing in the midst of our own chaotic world? And how might you be a Peter for somebody else? How might you show them, help somebody else along in their own life with Christ, to show them that believing in him, believing in his gospel, can still happen in our day in a way that makes sense, in a way that's relevant, in a way that is also biblically faithful and theologically rooted in what the church has always believed. I think about that for myself in my own journey, in my own life with Christ, and how would it look to come alongside someone in my church, a young adult, an older adult, who is wondering about the same things that I've wondered about and that we find here in this story. On the flip side, we might be a Clint rather than a Peter. Rather than coming alongside somebody, we might need to be uh, come alongsided, if that's a word. <laughs> somebody to come alongside us and and shepherd us and disciple us and help us do what Clint did in chapter 31. I'm not going to go back over that uh, sort of prayer session. And I would encourage you, though, if you are in that space, if you are a Clint who has been wondering and struggling and questioning, to take a look at his response, his invitation to confess and rededicate himself to faith in Jesus Christ. I had uh, an experience like that myself, not 20 years ago in D.C. on the other side of this episode that Peter sort of mirrors, but while I was at college, it was February 10th, 1999. still remember it because 15 years later, I had surgery to remove a tumor from my thyroid because I had discovered thyroid cancer. And And in that moment, I had a new lease on my physical earthly life because of that surgery. But, you know, 15 years before that, I had a new lease on my spiritual life when the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, did some major surgery on my my soul. 
after being confronted with the reality that I really did not know God the way I should, being a supposed Christian for 12, 13 years after praying the sinner's prayer when I was a little boy. And at Bible college, I was confronted with this reality that I really did not know God, that I confessed Jesus, yes, and believed in him and trusted his death on the cross as payment for my sins and trusted that he rose from the dead again to pave the way for my own eternal life. Uh, But I wasn't living like I did. And so in a moment of confession and rededication, I did what Clint did in the back of that car. And if that's where you're at, I would pray that you would do the same thing, that you would examine your heart, examine your life with Christ, and consider that invitation to confess and believe and recommit yourself to living with Christ and for Christ. Of course, all stories must come to an end, and this one does too, with chapters 32, 33, and 34. We find Peter at the sort of crossroads of this next leg in his journey, wondering what's next for his life, for his professional life especially, but also his spiritual life, wondering where is Christ going to take him? Boy, was that me 20 years ago. Uh, Again, Peter's journey mirroring a lot of my own, and I sort of put my own self-confession in in this book with some of the struggles that I had, and one of those that uh, is evident in these last few chapters as he stands on this crossroads between what was and what will be is this ugly head of pride he talks about in sort of the middle of chapter, what is this, 32, and he's looking between two different kinds of seminaries to attend, the seminary on the West Coast and the seminary back home in the Midwest in Grand Rapids. I had a very similar fork wondering where I would attend and why I would attend one over the other. And the same conclusion I came to was a similar one that Peter did, and that pride would keep him from attending the lesser of the two schools, the one back home in Grand Rapids. And so I really had to give this up to the Lord to show me where to go in the same way that Peter needed to give this up to the Lord to show him where to go and to be okay with wherever that path took him. Remember back in the labyrinth when Peter is walking this path laid out on the mat and it went back and forth, back and forth, taking him in a very particular direction. And that was the same attitude I I remember having to have for myself in the middle of my own back and forth and wondering what was next is trusting that wherever the Lord took me was again, by his design and was on purpose. Whether that was on the West Coast or back home in Grand Rapids to a place that I vowed I would never return to go to, in my case, Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. In Peter's case, Grand Rivers Theological Seminary. Uh, you saw what I did there? Yeah, kind of, again, mirroring the, the two stories. Uh, I would encourage you, in this, if you're encountering the same sort of fork, wondering 
where you should go, what you should do, both in your life decisions, but also spiritual decisions, to bring them before the Lord and to be okay with whatever answer he gives you that takes you where he wants you to go. Of course, we know that he gets into Grand Rivers, and then he later, finally, after three tries, mails back his acceptance letter, and that sets him on his course to wind down his time in Washington, D.C. Chapter 34 brings his parents by to pick him up with all of his earthly possessions and cart him back home to Coopersville, as you'll see in the next book. But before he leaves, he, one, has a couple conversations with the people who meant the world to him. Actually, I think this happens before his parents come. But of course, that's Bernie and then Clint. There's this opportunity to thank Bernie for all of the ways that he walked with him through his time in ministry And then he's able to reconnect with Clint one last time over the phone before they sort of uh, part ways as well. And so here is Peter with these two very symbolic people, relationships in his life. The guy who came alongside him in his journey and then the one he came alongside in his journey. At the end of this book, uh, consider those two people in your life. Uh, As I've framed it in previous weeks, the the Paul and the Timothy, the Paul who has poured into you and the Timothy that you have been able to pour into. Who, Who are those people and how have they impacted you? How have you been able to pass along the impact to pay it forward, if you will? Write down and reflect on those relationships, because I know for me, even thinking back to those moments 20 years ago, how precious and how crucial those people were in the middle of my own crisis. And I was thankful that I could voice my appreciation for those people before I left, because you know what? That's what life is about. It's about the people who've poured into you and the opportunities to pass it along to those around you. Now, before Peter leaves at the end of chapter 34, he spends some time in his apartment praying to the Lord for all that he has worked in his life the past few months. And I want to just end by reading some of that as a way to center us around the memories we carry of the Lord's own movement in our story. So here's Peter. I prayed aloud. Lord, you know how crazy the year has been, the questions and doubts, the struggles, the fear. But through it all, I know you've been with me, guiding and directing my path as much as caring for me while walking it. As I look back, I can see how true that is. I continued as I looked skyward. But Lord, as I look forward to the path ahead, I'm struggling to believe you are with me still. I mean, I feel like you are bringing me back home again. As crazy as that feels, I do know it to be true. But I guess I'm struggling to trust it, to trust you, that you will carry me through and provide what I need for the journey ahead. So I guess I come praying that you'll do just that, provide the strength I need for what's ahead. 
provide the people I need to encourage and support me, and please continue to provide all that I need to continue growing and changing and shifting in my relationship with you. I do trust you, God. If this year has taught me anything, it's that you really can be trusted. You've proven yourself to me over and over again. Now, Jesus, can you do it again? I stopped searching my heart for more. Finding nothing else to voice, I ended with a simple amen. What Peter discovered is what I discovered 20 years ago and what I've discovered since, that the Lord really can be trusted with every aspect of our life, both our professional and relational and familial and all the other aspects of our life, including our spiritual life. So if you are in a very similar position as Peter at the front end and wondering where the Lord is going to take you at the back end, be encouraged by hopefully Peter's story, but also my own, knowing that there is a place that God is taking you and where he is taking you is good and by his design. I hope that you have found value in this study, but also in this book and that you will continue to deepen your relationship with Christ. And then in some way, this, a reimagined faith book and story of Peter could contribute in some small way. Thanks again for listening to the Religion and Fiction podcast and for engaging in the Religion and Fiction book club. I hope that you found value in the study and that it encouraged your own spiritual life and walk with Christ. Would love to hear your experience of the book in the comments below. And be sure to sign up to the newsletter to receive insights into the intersection of the sacred and story. Until the next podcast episode, happy reading!